Good morning. So good to see you all. So good to see you all. We few, hearty few. I need to ask, is the closed caption enabled? I enabled it. It's enabled. Is it working? Closed caption? Okay. Well, this session, I'm so happy to see you all. It's like you're in the room. Wonderful. This session is an homage in honor of Shakyamuni Buddha's awakening, which happened quite a long time ago, but resonates with us to this day. I was thinking uh, that it's very impressive. Buddha's enlightenment, Shakyamuni Buddha's awakening is very impressive. And impressive means it, it's impressed upon us, it's pressed us, and it's resonating to this day, leaving its mark on us, touching us. Those of you who are slightly scientifically oriented or who like to read the um, popular scientific literature, like me, I raise my hand, <laughs> remember when gravitational waves were finally verified couple years ago, do you remember? Gravitation, the theory of gravitational waves resonating throughout the entire universe was verified when the devices they'd set up in Louisiana and somewhere in on the north part of the continent caused these very tiny devices to waver, tiny bit, which was the impact from millions of years ago of colliding black holes. So the, the impact of that kind of stellar event took that much time to reach our planet, but it still had an impact on our planet and on us. So I thought, what a nice parallel with the, the awakening and the work of Shakyamuni Buddha. It's still resonating down and impressing us to this day. One of the things I think about, there are many ways to understand what Shakyamuni Buddha did in his life and how he woke up, many ways to understand it. But one thing that I love to imagine is Shakyamuni, Gautama, just sitting down, finally just sitting down in the middle of his life and taking his position. He just sat down. He'd traveled a lot. He'd explored a lot. He'd trained a lot, and finally he just sat down in the middle of his life as it was at that moment. He took his position. So Shakyamuni Buddha sat down in the middle of his life as it was and saw what it was, saw the truth of reality, and also saw that that's the truth that we're all in. He saw that we all occupy the same enlightened position. That's what life is. So he sat down in his life as it is and occupied his dharma position and saw that that's how we realize the way. And each of us occupying our dharma position is the way. So a dharma position includes all the conditions of our lives, 
all the conditions of the world, all the conditions of the universe, and each one of us fully occupies our Dharma position. So when Shakyamuni Buddha stood up, he was occupying the position then of being somebody who had a lot to say. So he became, he occupied the Dharma position of being a guide and a leader. And he traveled around all over occupying that position, accepted that. First, he was quiet. First, he didn't talk for a while. And then when people approached him, he answered. He occupied the Dharma position of answering questions and engaging with people and showing them how, what he had seen about how the mind works. And all of our minds work the same way. The chant that we just um, recited together, Ehe Dogen's vows, says enlightened people of old were exactly the same as we. So that's Dogen Zenji's way of expressing that he got the impress of Buddha's teaching coming down all those centuries to his lifetime. They are the same as we. Buddha's mind is the same as ours. Shakyamuni, however, really deeply saw how it works, how this mind works, and how to cut through our delusions about how it works. He saw that, and then he talked about it for a long time. It's not that he didn't suffer. He went through the dragon gate, just like we go through the dragon gate every day. We go through dragon gates. Those are dragons out there, people. (laughs) And we go through the gate and it's hair raising and it's consequential. And dragons, one thing about dragons is they're kind of sinuous. You cannot predict which way they're going, where they're coming from, where they're going, how they're moving, what they're going to do. Are they going to turn their big tail to you? Or are they going to turn their big jaws to you? They're going to give you a ride. What's a dragon going to do? Get through that gate every day. So that's what Shakyamuni Buddha saw. And he saw that the way through is to totally occupy our Dharma position. This life, this era, this country, whichever country we're in, the people around us, our family, the jobs we're asked to do, occupy that position. Fully. Everything occupies its dharma position. Trees fully exert their dharma position. That's the way Dogen Zenji liked to talk about dharma position. Full exertion. Fully exert. Trees fully exert. Yesterday we were out on the land, a bunch of us, and working with our trees, also with other things like our septic tanks, but working with our trees and plants and There they were, those incredible trees, fully exerting their position, harboring uh, various creatures in their branches, harboring various creatures in their roots, fully exerting. So when we talk about trees, and also when we talk about humans, one way to notice how our minds work is that it can... Buddha would say, sometimes that can feel kind of static. Occupy the Dharma position of a tree sounds very static. Well, they're just rooted there. They're not moving. And then notice whether we think of our own 
life as static, isolated, separate from everything. The insight of Shakyamuni Buddha is that there is no isolation. There is no separation. But part of the problem of the human mind is that it sets up these boundaries and thinks of itself as separate. I would imagine that trees don't think that way. They don't experience themselves as separate entities. They're totally connected. They have all of these creatures around them and dirt and air and water. They don't think of themselves as a tree, possibly. They think of themselves as an accumulation of minerals and and elements and breezes coming through and birds landing on them. That's what a tree is. But this is hard to grasp. And so even though the teaching of the Buddha is take your seat where you are, feel your feet right below you, understand this is your life. You are life lifing just like a tree. You bring the entire world to life just like a tree. You are life. Everything you meet is your life. Everything that you interact with, you are giving life to. Teaching of Shakyamuni Buddha. It's hard for us to realize this. And it's hard for us to let that change our life completely and change our understanding and enhance our Dharma position. It's difficult. So in his lifetime, Buddha went around all over the place teaching people about this. He would talk to anybody. He would go to anybody who came up to him. He would talk to. He never turned anybody away. Sometimes his attendant Ananda would say, don't bother him, he's sleeping. But if the Buddha found out about that, he would say, oh, no, Ananda, let them in. But he did have people who tried to uh, uh, give him food, give him time, so on. But he went around to these places, and gradually people started collecting together to specifically learn how the mind works, according to these insights. And he encouraged that. There are a lot of talks about being associating with good Dharma friends. So this is the origin of monastic practice, period. These are the first uh, temples and gathering places. And so we can call them monasteries, not because everybody is necessarily ordained, but because it's dedicated to Dharma exploration. Those were the very first ones. He said that uh, wherever four people gather together is a vihara, is a practice place. And then gradually, even in the lifetime of the Buddha, he would go around and there would be places where people had been practicing for a long time together. And then he would uh, talk about how to, how to practice together. So that's where the monastic rules came from. The Buddha answering questions about how to behave. Things like a monk would say, oh, I'm... I'm having a difficulty with this other practitioner here. And the Buddha would say, don't go to sleep without resolving that. So try to resolve all these things before you go to sleep and so on. And many, many, many um, guidelines for how to practice together in order to enhance our study of the way. And I raise this because that also is the teaching of Shakyamuni Buddha, that we need to be together in groups with good Dharma friends in order to really wake up. And we need to have places where we practice together in order to uh, 
stabilize this change that happens when you really take your Dharma position. So in the modern world, this is how we're practicing together and we, we value it. And we're here too. I would turn the camera, but it would unplug everything. So <laughs> we're over here. <laughs> we didn't, yeah. So the importance of having places where we practice together and um, gently uh, provide opportunities for waking up is an original uh, gift of Shakyamuni Buddha's impressing us to this day. So I think, you know, it's possible to have different views about say something like the Houston Zen Center, or you name it, any Zen Center anywhere, but I'll say Houston Zen Center because that's where we are right now. Um, no, it's just a building where people practice together. Yes, that is true. It's just a building where we practice together because it's the fundamental message of Shakyamuni Buddha to create these places where people can gather together and explore teachings. So it isn't when the, it isn't, from the Buddha's time, it isn't that you have to say, I totally take Shakyamuni Buddha as my leader and guide for the rest of my life, and now I get to go into this, this gathering place. No. Everybody can go in who wants to study how the mind works and possibly wake up, although you don't even have to say that you want to wake up. You just have to have a little bit of curiosity about how things work, which includes something like sitting down quietly in meditation, but it also could just include debate. So the original practice places were completely open and permeable. So some people moved there and lived there and devoted their lives to waking up as Shakyamuni Buddha did. Other people came and hung out. Other people came for the debates because there weren't exactly Dharma talks necessarily. I suppose if Shakyamuni were there, there would be a Dharma talk. But in other situations, there would be a debate. So Vicki and I would have a debate and she would say, well, I think what he meant when he said such and such was this. And then if we were having a Tibetan style debate, I would say, why no? <laughs> I think what he meant was this. And she would say, no, what he meant. <laughs> or she would say, yes, I think that's right, or whatever. But perhaps another point that, that we need to explore is such and such. The mind is tricky like a dragon. Moves this way and that way, in and out, swirls around, muddies the water. But then it also burns off delusion. So dragon is a very, very important image in our practice. So again, these places like this temple and our temple up at the land, which is 40 acres of beautiful um, open space and trees and a few buildings. These are places that are meant to provide a harbor and a refuge for people who are studying the way. They're meant to be a, a lure and a, an enticing, beautiful place so that people can come and express their curiosity about how the mind works. And then in, in togetherness, we watch our minds change. So I just wanna say that the, the importance of these temples is part of our heritage and taking care of it is 
part of our, what would you say? What's the word? Privilege? Yeah, we feel privileged to be able to go in there and empty the septic tanks. That's a joke. Except it's true. <laughs> now I want to say that seeing you all, seeing us all, is part of our celebration and honoring of Shakyamuni Buddha. Think how happy Shakyamuni Buddha would be to know that to this day, you know, the reverberations of practice are continuing and our willingness to honestly look at our minds and honestly take our Dharma position for the benefit of all beings. Think how happy that would make Shakyamuni Buddha and Dogen Zenji. So now I have a question. Linda, thank you. Actually, I don't have a question. I just want to say thank you for occupying your Dharma position, Linda. And Sally, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Louise, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Charlotte, Thank you for coming and occupying your Dharma position. Gisela, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Sean, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Maite and Kat, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Kogan, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Seiren, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Shashi, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Armita, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Elizabeth, Thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Rich, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Oh, Rich and Cat. Nice cat. Zen Shen, thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Zen Getsu. Thank you for occupying your Dharma position. Goes on. Thank you for occupying your Dharma position. So let's continue with our day together. And thank you so much for coming. And know that we are we are really thinking about you. And uh I want you to know that you're surrounded by us in the temple here, extending the reach of the temple to you. We hold you, I hold you in my heart, all of you. <laughs>